Welcome to Psychologically Speaking with me, Leela Ainge. This is a podcast all about human behaviour, weaving together fascinating research opinions and real-life experiences. I'll give you a psychologist's insight into how we behave in spaces we live and work in, and how they in turn shape us. This season, we're exploring my favourite topic: imposter phenomenon. So get comfy and let's dive into today's episode. Helen Hill is a multi-hyphened and excitable dual business owner. She's the founder of Unlikely Genius, for which she's an educator, illustrator and author of the triple award-winning book, Falling Off the Ladder, Revamp Your Mindset and Thrive in Self-Employment. Helen helps to develop the sustainability and positive impact of businesses, not just for the planet, but for individuals working within it, because we're all connected. Helen is also co-founder of Be The Future. This is an educational initiative that aims to make sustainability playful. They provide edutainment in the form of books, activity books, games, resources and a podcast to help ease eco-anxiety and encourage families to take action one step at a time because small ripples make big waves. Helen and I chatted about the time she used clothing in a creative and playful way. I really enjoyed talking to Helen about the effect that stepping into a character had on her confidence and business. Here's what she had to say. Hi, Helen. Hi. Thanks for being here this morning. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Would you just explain a little bit about who you are and um, I suppose in context of what we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. what that business is around as well? Yeah, so I'm a dual business owner. Uh, originally, most people know me as Unlikely Genius, but recently co-founded Be The Future with Sally Giblin, who's over in Australia. And we're all about helping families and educators to teach young children about the climate crisis, but through fun storytelling, humour puns, getting a bit silly, you know, really bringing the fun back into this thing because it's such a serious topic, but we just believe that it doesn't have to be taught that way. And so I think this is where I did a double take in an online community (laughs) because I was asking people, tell me about your experiences of dressing up as part of your role. (laughs) And (laughs) you came in with the, well, you know, Last week, when I was on the BBC in a mermaid costume, <laughs> just yeah, it was a bit of a mic drop moment where I went, "Whoa!" <laughs> Tell me how that came to be and how you ended up on on a on a TV channel in a mermaid costume. Oh, gosh, honestly, it's just it seems so <laughs> surreal now. Um, but basically, uh, Sally and myself have written a book and we've created an activity book and a game as well. So we're calling it like an edutainment kit for parents mm-hmm. and families. And as part of the launch of that, we'd hired um, a PR company. So after lots of back and forth, we decided that with the whole thing of like the Little Mermaid coming out, the live Disney edi- um, edition, that it would be really good for us to connect to it in that way. Because, you know, yes, could have dressed as a crab or an anemone. I did kind of offer <laughs> that at one point. But that would have been even more ridiculous. But we decided a mermaid would be a really good idea and that it would be like, we're the mermaids coming from the oceans to tell the story of the creatures. And we're going to take the hopes and dreams of the children and the promises of action back to the creatures. So, yeah, we decided we were going to be mermaids on a beach. And then, you know, in our true kind of giddy excitement that me and Sally get we were like oh 
it needs to be a really big mermaid, like a really long, because we were going to go for big play, big hopes, big story time. Right, we're going to be this big, long mermaid. And then, oh, let's make it out of reclaimed plastic, I decided to suggest. And then we were originally going to get some artists to create it. And then we one day me and Stella just went, ah, we can do it ourselves. <laughs> so 150 hours each later, and we created a 13-foot-long mermaid tail and top and headpiece and... um yeah, not surprisingly, when the PR company put it out to sort of the press sources, the BBC Look North team snapped me up to go in and um, sit under the very hot studio lights in six kilograms of plastic, <laughs> um, covered in sand, flaking paint all over the chair, so they had to keep sweeping it between <laughs> practice runs. <laughs> I think they just think, what on earth are we doing now? And Sally was live from Bondi Beach on Network 10 in Sydney. Wow. Well, so I'm interested then. Had you got the press without the mermaid outfit, that 150 hours of reclaimed plastic and ended up on, on the sofa, what do you think you would have been feeling on the lead up to appearing on TV, just, just as an ordinary press piece? Oh, I would have been terrified. I mean, I'm someone that, you know, two years ago still, I was, I didn't let anyone take pictures of me. I was, and I, I had my first photo shoot for my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was terrified before that. And I went through the usual things of, I need to lose like eight stone before I can do this. And I don't want to see the pictures. And I certainly don't want them out in the world before I check them. And, not, you know, uh-huh. it, there was a real fear, fear going on. And I still get that to an extent. But I think that first photo shoot I did had helped. Mm. But then, you know, this was another level for me to sit on Runswick Bay in East Yorkshire as a mermaid on rock with kids around me, having a photo shoot, reading the story to them with literally like there was a sort of wall of rocks opposite and people were lining it, watching what was going on. Wow. Wow. And you just I think there was definitely something around the fact that at least I was hiding behind the costume. People were Mm. looking at the tail. Um, normally if I was having a photo shoot and anyone was stood watching, I would feel, I'd, I'd just be dying inside. <laughs> <laughs> Quite um, a normal or usual feeling for people to have, yeah? Yeah, definitely, you know, and especially, you know, sometimes on, especially on days where I'm not feeling great health-wise and things like that, you know, I really just don't want to partake in such things. But, um, yeah, it was a very, very surreal experience. And I feel like with the BBC thing, that when I left, I couldn't remember a thing I'd said. I had no idea how it had gone. My brain had just kind of gone into some kind of autopilot, knowing I had to try and get certain facts in mm-hmm. and certain things I had to say. And I managed it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my PR woman was thrilled with it that was there and the producer was really happy and everything. But I couldn't tell you what I said. I just went into some kind of outer body experience. <laughs> yeah it sounds like a fascinating kind of thing to have happened and I suppose the interesting thing for me is how would you feel now say if somebody phoned you up and said can we have you on our sofa but can you leave the mermaid at home how would you feel about that now yeah I don't think I wouldn't be as comfortable with that Mm. I feel like there's definitely something with me I think around sort of your body image and all of that and I think I would be so self-conscious of that without having this 
costume to hide behind because it's you're almost becoming a character you're almost becoming you know it's like i mean our, our favorite saying at the moment between me and sally is all shame has left the building <laughs> so it, it kind of helps us just step in because sally equally you know she is she has health issues and mm. things and the way it's affected her she's very i think paranoid self-conscious about mm. photographs and stuff as well you know, so like she had a big wig on and all sorts, and she felt better hiding behind a big rainbow wig and that kind of stuff. Um, so I think both of us would feel very exposed to do it as just us. Wow. And yeah. I suppose what, what's that experience left you with, knowing that? I mean, you, you're sitting here being quite honest and going, you know, yeah, mm. I, I think this is a self, you know, um, image thing. It's definitely easy to hide behind a costume, but reflecting on that what was that experience giving you as a, as a business owner and I suppose a lot of the work you're doing as well is you know supporting and lifting up other people isn't it you do a mm. mentoring role that we'd talked about earlier so how's that experience making you feel yeah I do a lot of mentoring and business coaching and things like that and it is quite funny how when I'm doing that stuff I find it natural to try and lift the other people up and build their mm. confidence and I'm very aware of in my head you know saying you're such a hypocrite because it is that <laughs> typical thing of like, we know what we should be doing and you don't do it yourself, but you can tell uh -huh. others like, you know, and yeah, I think there's, it's definitely given me a confidence boost. I think to mm. really make me realize that I can, can do something so far out of my comfort zone that I, I, I think I would have refused to do it a couple of years ago. And the funny thing is that for a long time, people have said to me, you're so confident, you're so confident. And I just keep saying like, no, I have days where I can appear confident, you know. And funny enough, I had a conversation with someone about this lately, about what my perception is of how people see me versus how other people are seeing me as like this person that's, mm. you know, really successful and really going for this, that and the other. And I'm like, I don't know. There's an element of me that just throws myself into things because I know if I thought about it too much, I wouldn't do it. Um, and I think that is very much the case with things like this, that if I'd thought about that and it hadn't been, right, the BBC want you on tomorrow, mm. I, I would have overthought that for like a week if I'd had more time, <laughs> not done it. <laughs> so I, I do I do believe there's that element of like, that I think has worked really well for me and I need to keep up of kind of, keep pushing myself and just putting myself forward for things that are way out of my boundaries and my comfort zone and just the stuff that come from, comes from it is great and you know you can sit there and you can think oh I'd love to do that one day I'd love to do x but unless you put yourself forward it's, it's not actually ever going to happen is it and what's the worst that can happen someone says no or not yet or you've not got enough experience right great then try it again but at least you know you've tried and I mean, this is why I've got a TED talk in the mermaid outfit in October. <laughs> wow, wow. So you recorded that in October? Yes. Wonderful. And so that's going to be out there on YouTube forever, right? You in, in a mermaid costume. I just think it's amazing. I'm, I'm so, it, I just found it really intriguing what you'd done and so mm. curious because in the imposter phenomenon research, it was really evident that women have um, a whole host of safety behaviours to prevent mm. themselves putting themselves out there. You know, that thing you said, which is, I don't want to be the centre of attention. So if I was doing a normal photo shoot, I wouldn't want people looking. And yet mm. 
there's these really intriguing coping mechanisms that come through that are very creative, that are very kind of full of that entrepreneurial flair, which is, but I'll do it in a big costume that I've made that takes me 150 hours. <laughs> and I just find that so interesting as a psychologist to kind of go, mm. well, isn't it great that we can move from safety behavior to, to you know, really mm. coping? And that energy, I think, that you've put into this and, and how it, it's kind of come out has been interesting. On the mm. overthinking thing, I mean, we know that happens. I mean, that is a, a key tenant of imposter, mm. that when that overthinking comes in. And perhaps there is something around those last-minute journal requests or PR things where perhaps they know that in TV. That's why the I had to go yeah. on radio once, and it was very much, can you get here in an hour, <laughs> you yeah. know? So maybe they know that 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 kind of nervousness creeps in. Mm. Yeah, very much so. And, and I think the really interesting thing about this as well has been that it's actually pivoted our plan quite a lot. So obviously we had the book, The Game Activity Book, we were launching a Kickstarter. This was what it was all about. And the tail actually took on a life of its own and almost the Kickstarter wasn't even getting mentioned. Uh-huh. But in the process of that, new opportunities came forward for funding and we actually pulled the Kickstarter a couple of weeks later because we decided that actually, you know, the model we were going for wasn't right. And this is where the entrepreneurial thing comes in as much as I always hate to call myself that. Like we recognise that actually these new opportunities would help us reach more families quicker mm -hmm. and at the cost of corporates rather than the families. Yeah, yeah. So we cancelled the Kickstarter and we're going down that route. Wonderful. And you know, you've got to be able to flex like that. And I think, you know, if we hadn't pushed ourselves and done this ridiculous thing, <laughs> this opportunity wouldn't have happened and we'd still be trying desperately to play forward with the model that re wasn't really right at this time in a cost of living crisis and all of that kind of mm. stuff. Um, and, you know, I mean, Sally was in an accelerator and we were think we really had our hopes that she was going to win and win this $50,000 because she's over in Australia. Um, and she didn't get it and we were so gutted for like a day and then it sparked a new idea which actually is going to fit perfectly with the new funding streams and you know we've just had to pivot massively and I feel like the this outfit and this persona and this thing just gave us that kind of attitude of okay well you know let's just do it let's just try it because this seemed this feels right and it feels better um, and I think if, if you know, if she'd won that accelerator scheme and things, we'd have still been playing again ahead with mm. the way we were going. So we're seeing it as the best thing that happened to us that we didn't win that. So it's really interesting because obviously the thing that triggered you dressing up came from that internal self-esteem um, mm. and, and it, it was very much how can I put on a costume and get myself out there and, and make that uh, confidence mm come alive for me when I need it. But then something psychological's happened in return. And we call this enclosed cognition. So there was, yeah. uh, this is one study that was done back in 2012. And it was um, a group of graduates in America and they split this group up and they put half of them in lab coats and half of them not. And the, the group that were in the lab coats behaved and performed more as scientists than the ones without. And there's been a, a smattering of studies since then. Mm. So we're, we're beginning to see that actually the clothes do make the man or the woman, because when we put clothes on, we are able to step into those identities. 
interestingly enough, the online world, we've got a, a phrase for this, it's called the Proteus effect, where you know your avatar or the image that you put out or your brand can help you behave in a certain way in online gaming spaces, that kind of thing. So it makes a lot of sense to me that actually you've, you've put on a costume and actually that costume mm. then fueled you and, and kind of taken you off in a different direction. It's just so... Mm. I think this is why I was so excited to speak to you because it's just a real living example of, of how a very extreme identity has, has kind of taken you off in a, in a different place and really successfully as well. Yeah, and I think the, the interesting thing actually is that I've also been dressing differently in normal life. And I think I've had little nuggets of that beforehand, but... I think I'm doing it a lot more now. I mean, even the necklace I've got on now with all this rainbow and stuff, that, you know, it's because of our rainbow branding. I have to uh -huh. very aware that, like, dressing in more colour is great for me. I'm not, I mean, I'm standing here in a black T-shirt right now, but I've at least got the, <laughs> the rainbow necklace. But um, I've actually been trying clothes that I wouldn't ordinarily have worn, like, beforehand. And I think, like I said, this had started a while back, but even, like, down to, like, a pair of what are probably ill-advised dungarees to nick someone else's frame recently <laughs> and um sort of just more patterns more brighter colors sort of bigger looser tops whereas i used to wear quite fitted stuff and yeah i think there's it might also be the midlife crisis of having just turned 40 and, and things like that <laughs> i think there's been a combination of things that have gone on but there is something in that actually of reaching that yeah. age and just going ah don't care anymore but um <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's quite nice that it's evolved and I'm starting to wear clothes that I've seen other people wear and thought, oh, I want to wear something like that, and I never have. Yeah. I like this playfulness that you've got around the clothing. I, I think there's a real intrigue for you at the moment, you know, mm. having done something so outrageous. And yeah. then it's almost like your brain's gone, well, why not? And and let's see how mm. this goes. And I think this is, is really indicative of some of the imposter conversations I've had that it's taken something really nervy, gutsy, and, mm. and that kind of coping mechanism to do it in a different way to realise it's okay. It's okay to do something in a different way. You don't have to hide away, but you can do things on your own terms and then look what happens as a result of it. It's, it's really fascinating. But I'm interested because mm. you're saying, you know, you feel different. What, what kind of different do you feel? I mean, apart from the appetite to try different things, but how is it making you feel different? I think there's definitely something going on in my head of caring less about what other people think. Mm. Um, I mean, it's quite a funny dynamic in our house because my other half, we joke about how his wardrobe is exclusively like black, grey, dark blue, like, <laughs> you know, very ordinary yeah. kind of, and that's, you know, that's his style. And I couldn't be more different at the moment. And I, I think there's certain things that I know I won't be aware of them because he will walk down the street with me. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but I'm kind of, I've just, there's definitely something about not caring as much what people think about my size, my weight, things like that. Don't get me wrong, it's still there, but it's mm. less than it was. And I did a couple of years ago take up weightlifting, which really helped with that as well, because I was at least a bit more toned and stronger uh -huh. and feeling healthier. But also I think it's, I've realised how much wearing certain things can just make me feel a lot more confident, I think. Mm. Even like, even though it's like a black t-shirt, it's got, this is one that's got... Um, it's a BBC Earth one and it's got about plastics in the oceans on the back and stuff and even just things like that where it's like part of our message and it's something uh -huh. I care about. I like having stuff like that as well. 
it probably feels really congruent to your messages, doesn't it? And then, you know, that that whole kind of feeling comfortable in your skin is is coming through because it's like, well, this is me, mm. this is what I stand for, and it's what my business stands for. So yeah. I think just to sum up really, what I'm taking from this is that, you know, it's okay to kind of do something a bit different. Standing mm. out and hiding behind if you like a, a costume or an outfit it doesn't necessarily have to be seen as something that we shouldn't do as owners I, actually it's been a massive springboard for you and and there may be some residual benefits that come further down the line which is what I'm hearing from you is that yeah. you know look at the the kind of appetite I've got to try new things yeah and you know what it's made me meet so many new people because I'm <laughs> you know Helen the Mermaid and, you know, I've done quite a lot of events <laughs> over the last few weeks and people are just fascinated to talk mm. to me. It's made loads of new connections for all kinds of things, not just to be the future link. The really heartwarming thing as well is the support from others. Don't get me wrong, I've had a couple of trolls. But at the same time, like, you know, it's that real focus on actually the amount of people who have been incredible in this whole thing with our Kickstarter, in, you know, pivoting in just supporting us and cheerleading us to do it. And even a guy's had Sally's mermaid tail on over in Australia. Wow. wow. The founder (laughs) of Seabin, who was also doing a Kickstarter, he's been dressed on Sydney Opera House steps with a sign saying mermaids, not microplastics, chest out, plastic tail on, dressed as a mermaid, you know, and it's things like that. And I had a young boy, you know, of all the people at a a two day event last week, it was a young boy that came up and said, Can I try this on? And I was like, Yeah, come on, (laughs) let's get it on you. And he just stood there twishing. I've had a drag queen dressed in it. I've had a student at Manchester Met Uni who just stood there and went, oh, my God, I feel so pretty. You know, <laughs> and it's it's been that that's been really nice as well. So it's not just me that's uh-huh. kind of really taken this on and had that moment of just something else. And, um, yeah, it was so funny to see, see the action. <laughs> It's been fascinating to hear about it. It's such a lovely story. And I think this is one of those experiences that probably happens once every couple of years. And I'm so privileged that you've been able to come on and chat to me about it. I think it just really highlights some of the stuff that the researchers was bringing out. And it kind of gives us an extra insight into what happens when we take those risks and when we're innovative and creative. So thank you very much for taking time out. I know you're just back off a festival. So thank you so (laughs) much for taking the time to chat to me no it's been a pleasure thank you so much yeah (laughs) that's it for today i hope you learned something new or perhaps i've given you a new way to think about what you experience a quick reminder that rating and reviewing all the podcasts you love really does help other people find them which is especially appreciated by independent podcasters for more psychological insights you'll find all the ways you can connect with me in the show notes Thanks for listening to Psychologically Speaking with me, Leela Ainge. Bye for now.